called, my name uh, takes a seat as well here, and we turn our attention to uh, Scripture this morning. And uh, we're in uh, Passionate Summer, Passionate Psalms. So just remember what we're doing this summer here. It's August already. And uh, so we're, we're just looking at uh, uh, particular psalms that uh, we can glean some just uh, wisdom from them, obviously, but also just to see the passion that these people have. You know, they're just real people with some real passion uh, and some real psalms. So uh, today uh, we're going to look at Psalm uh, 15. And uh, Psalm 15 is only uh, five verses uh, long. So you're probably saying, awesome, five verses. We're out early today. Don't count on it, okay? Don't count on it. That's all I'm saying. Uh, but, yeah, it's only five verses long, but it is, it is just a great psalm of, of just incredible practical wisdom uh, in our life. But it should also lead us uh, to passion. And, and we get the passion in Psalm 15 uh, right away in the first verse. And, and we see the psalmist expressing a passion uh, so that God would be obvious in his life. Okay? It, it comes in the first verse with two questions. The psalmist says, says, Lord, who can live in your sacred tent? Who can stay on your holy hill? So what's he asking? Well, he uses the word tent, right? And, and you know, I just got back from the Boundary Waters uh, last week, and, you know, we did tents. And, uh, you know, when you think about tents and the Boundary Waters, usually it means somebody in your tent is snoring all night. And, uh, you know, it's not, it doesn't feel like a real holy place, right? But when, when he's using the word tent, he, he's using that word with a whole different image. And, and his image is to understand that, that in the tent is where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. You know, when the people of God were wandering in the wilderness, they wandered in the wilderness and they'd, they'd camp and they'd put up a tent and then they'd take the Ark of the Covenant and they'd put the Ark of the Covenant in the tent. And everybody in the camp knew God was in that tent. I mean, there's no question about it. It was, it was obvious to absolutely everybody. Everybody understood. If you want to see God, you want to know where God is, God is right there. God is in that tent, right? And the same with his second question about the holy hill. Well, I mean, that goes back to Moses, Mount Sinai. Moses goes up the mountain. Moses gets the Ten Commandments. The mountain rumbles. There's thunder. There's lightning. And everybody knew who was on top of that mountain, not just Moses. But God was there, right? I mean, there's no question about it. It was obvious to absolutely everybody. So when the psalmist asks this question, he's asking the question and applying it to his life and saying, Lord, how can you be obvious in my life? I mean, beyond just like, okay, my head knowledge tells me that God is always present. My head knowledge tells me you know, God is always there with me no matter what I face. My head mileage tells me there's never going to be a moment that God's not going to be part of my life experience and everything I do and say and everything I'm about. I mean, God is going to be there and everything. My head knowledge tells me that. But the psalmist is saying, how can I be passionate about knowing, experiencing your presence? How, how can I be passionate so that it's absolutely obvious every time in my life, all the time in my life, to not just me, but other people. How, how can my life be at a place where, where you are so present that nobody can miss your presence, just like when you were in the tent, just like when you were on the holy hill? How can it be, and how can I have such a passion 
to have you be that obvious in my life. That's what he's desiring. That's his passion. His passion is to experience God in such a way that there is no question, there is no doubt, and everybody sees it, and everybody knows it, that God is awesome and powerful in my life. Good passion? Absolutely good passion. This is what the psalmist wants. So then he goes through, in the next verses, he goes through and says, well, okay, if you're going to experience that kind of passion, here's the way it rolls out. And right away, it gets tough. Because the psalmist lays out high expectations. He says, anyone who lives without blame and does what is right will experience this presence. And right away, I read that and say, I'm done. Right? Are you kidding me? I got to be without blame? And always do what is right. I'm done. But it shouldn't surprise us. What the psalmist is saying here should not surprise us as followers of Christ. Because if you go into Matthew 5 and you listen to what Jesus says, Jesus says, if you love those who love you, well, what reward do you get with that? Even the tax collector does that. Come on. If you greet only your own people, what more are you doing than others do? Even people who are ungodly do that. So be, what? Whoa! Perfect? Perfect? Be perfect. Just as your Father in heaven is perfect. High expectations. And we know none of us will ever fulfill that expectation. But we also know this. Jesus Christ did. He did. And because He did, He offers us the opportunity to seek it with all our passion. That's the key. Even though we know there's going to be times we fail. Even though we know we're not going to always do it right. Even though we know we will never walk without blame. We know the one who did. And because we know Him, we can have that passion to seek it every day of our life. Even in spite of our failures, even in spite of our faults, even in spite of our past, we can still be in a place in our life where we say, I am going to be passionate through Jesus Christ to do everything I can to live a life that makes God obvious. So everybody will know it and everybody will see it. That's what Paul did. Paul understood completely where we are. He, he, he understood it because he was in the same place. And so he had said in Romans 7, he, here's the law I find working in me. So this is what's going on in us. When I want to do good, be blameless and perfect. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Deep inside me, I find joy in God's law. I want to do it. But I see another law working in the parts of my body. It fights against the law of my mind. It makes me a prisoner of the law of sin. That law controls the parts of my body. What a terrible failure I am. Who will save me from this sin that brings death to my body? I give thanks to God. He will do it. 
through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There it is. Even though we know this about ourselves, we also know Jesus Christ came to give us the possibility so we can have a passion that makes God obvious. How cool is that? That's what it is. You and I, because we come to that place in our lives where we just surrender our life in spite of our blame and in spite of the times we do things wrong, we just keep surrendering our lives and saying, God, just give me another chance. I want to live with passion and be as perfect as I can be in the image of Christ. That's what the psalmist desires. The psalmist desires that we will simply live with that kind of passion. And then he leads us to the practical implications in our life of doing just that. He says, listen, if you're going to have that passion and you're going to have a life that says, listen, I want God to be so obvious in my life, then there's some things you've got to work at. That you've got to just seek these things in your everyday behavior. He starts by saying we need to be passionate about our words and how we use them. He says... The person who's passionate speaks the truth from his heart. He doesn't tell lies about others. He doesn't do wrong to his neighbors. He doesn't say anything bad about them. Now notice the psalmist gives us a do and then a lot of don'ts, right? You do this, you speak the truth from your heart, but you don't do this. You don't lie, you don't try to hurt your neighbor, and you don't slander and gossip. What's he challenging us with? Well. If you're going to have a passion to have God obvious in your life, you start by controlling your tongue. You've got to control your tongue. You've got to put your tongue under the lordship of Jesus, under that servanthood of Jesus, and let your tongue not be about yourself, but be about what God wants to do and accomplish in your life and in others' lives. we got a word from James uh, that tells us how important, how crucial this is for us, He says, suppose you think your beliefs are right because of how you live, but you don't control what you say, then you're fooling yourself. Your beliefs are not worth anything at all. So you can't believe one thing and then say another. You can't believe one thing and then let your words contradict and be contrary to what you believe. If your words aren't consistent with your belief in being in servanthood to Christ, then your belief really isn't there at all. That's what he's saying. And so the challenge for us is to be passionate about having God be obvious in our life. And the way we get passionate about that is starting with just saying, listen, not only my whole life, but my words, how I use my words, are now under the servanthood and the leadership of Christ's. Paul says in Ephesians, Don't let any evil talk come out of your mouths. Say only what will help to build others up and meet their needs. Then what you say will help those who listen. He just gave you the key to how you control and use your words to make God obvious in your life. Your words are not about you. They're about others. Is that what he's doing? Your words shouldn't be about you. They should be about others. What does it mean? When you come home from work, you don't walk into the house, meet your spouse and say, man, you got to listen to every detail about my day because it was some kind of day. Who are you talking about if you do that? Yeah, you. That's not it. 
He just said, no, you've got to control your words, and you've got to make your words servants of Christ, and that means you look to the other first. And so he says, listen, use your words to build them up and meet their needs. So when you walk in the door, don't just yak about your day. You walk in the door and you say, honey, I want to hear everything there is to hear about your day. Because I'm here for you. I mean, you can get around and talk about your day. It's not that you don't talk about your day. I mean, you can get it. But the focus of your words should be on the other and not on yourself. It's not selfish talk. It's other talk, right? It's, it's looking for the opportunity so that your words build people up. It's looking for the opportunity so your words intersect into their life in important places and, and meet their needs and affirm them and encourage them and strengthen them. You see, it's words that are directed at the other. It's words that are in servanthood of Christ, just what he did. If you're going to have a passion that says, God is obviously my life, it's going to show by the way you use your words. Now, that doesn't mean you never speak the truth. It's not like it's saying, listen, just candy coat everything. Just make it all sugar. No, Scripture is real clear. It's about servanthood in our words. And remember, the psalmist says, we not only speak about the other, but we speak the truth from our hearts. We speak the truth from our hearts. We can see that over and over in Scripture where, where uh, Paul and Jesus, they, I mean, they spoke the truth, right? They just spoke the truth. And, and the truth sometimes hurts. It challenges. The deal here is that our words serve the other. We're speaking the truth for their well-being, not for our own revenge or to hurt them, but because we want to edify them. We want what's better for them. Let's look at a couple examples. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, and he talks about Alexander. In case you wonder what Alexander it is, it's Alexander the metal worker. No confusion here, right? Paul is pointing to an exact person, and, and he's writing saying, listen, he did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will pay him back for what he's done. You too should watch out for him. He strongly opposed our message. Is Paul gossiping about Alexander? No. Is he slandering Alexander? No. He's just speaking truth. He had this experience with Alexander, the metal worker, and, and he opposes the gospel, and he is speaking a word of truth to Timothy, so Timothy is aware, so Timothy doesn't get hurt. He's using his words to help edify and take care of the other Timothy, and he's not speaking out of turn, he's just speaking the truth about Alexander, the metal worker. Or you can see when he gets involved in a face-to-face -face with Peter. Uh, you know, Peter, great apostle of Christ, right? And yet Paul and Peter have at it in Galatians. And I kind of edited it so we just get to the meat of our topic this morning here. Uh, but uh, Paul says, when Peter came to Antioch, I told to his face what I was against when he, what he was doing. He was clearly wrong. I saw what they were doing. It was not in line with the truth of the good news. So I spoke to Peter in front of them all. That's important stuff happening here with, with Paul's words. Okay? First of all, he speaks to Peter how? Face to face. You know, he didn't go to all the other apostles. He didn't go to all the other leaders in the Jerusalem church and say, well, you know about that Peter. I mean, you, you've, you heard what Peter was doing. 
I mean, you, you understand when Peter was with the Gentiles, what he, was, what he was practicing. He didn't do that. He didn't play the game of triangles, where, where he went to go tell somebody, so they tell somebody, so they would get back to somebody. You know that game, right? No, it says in Scripture, when he used his words, he spoke the truth, and he spoke it directly to Peter face to face. And the words he spoke were guided by a simple principle. What? I saw what he was doing there, and what he was doing was not in line with the truth of the good news. Why did he speak truthful words from his heart? Because Peter was acting contrary to the truth of the good news. And so Paul would speak face to face, and he wouldn't speak in hiding. He would speak publicly before the other leaders of the church. There was no, no you know, back room conversation, no meeting after the meeting. He was speaking the truth right there publicly to Peter's face in front of everybody else. Why? Because sometimes we just have to speak the truth. But we speak that truth according to the good news and we speak it for the well-being of the other. That's the key. The key is when you speak the truth, are you speaking this truth into somebody else's life because you want it or because it's the best thing for them? That's the guide. Remember where we started. Does it edify? Does it encourage? Does it strengthen? So we speak the truth according to the good news when we know they need to hear this word. They need to hear this word. And we speak it face to face. You with me? That's having passion. Why? Because it shows God is obviously in our, our lives when we're speaking that truth in the heart. When we speak the truth, however, we speak the truth from our heart and we speak only the truth. Only the truth. When it gets to speaking other things like gossip and slander, that's not part of us. That doesn't show God is obviously in our life, right? In uh, Proverbs it says, worthless people plan trouble. Isn't that a great, you know some of those people? I mean, they're just always stirring the pot. They're always having these backroom conversations. They're always talking to this person about that person, about this person, about that person. They're always just kind of stirring things up in the office. You know those people, right? Proverbs says they're worthless. Worthless people. Worthless people who plan trouble. Even their words burn like a flaming fire. They just destroy. And it's so clear. Gossip is what? Not good. Gossip's not good. Why? Because it causes hard feelings and it comes between friends. Words can divide. Words can divide. If we're going to have a passion for God being obvious in our life, we're going to use our words in the right way, for the sake of the other, to edify, strengthen, encourage. And we're going to stay away from gossip and from slander. We're just not going to play that game. Because that's not what shows God's presence uh, in our lives. We're going to be passionate about speaking the truth, but speaking that truth in an edifying and encouraging way. Next one. If we're going to be passionate about showing God is obvious in our life, the psalmist would say we need to be passionate about who we admire in our life. And we need to make sure we focus on the right people. He says, verse 4, He hates sinful people. He honors those who have respect for the Lord. So he's laying out two kinds of people, right? He's saying, well, okay, there's sinful people, and there's people who respect the Lord. And when it comes to those two groups of people, the psalmist is saying, listen, if God's going to be obvious in your life, you're going to be passionate about that, 
Well, then you're going to try to hang out with and admire people who respect the Lord. You're going to look for the opportunity to, to rub elbows with people who love the Lord, people who respect the Lord, other people to, in whose life God is obvious. So if you want to have a passion for having God obvious in your life, hang out with people who have the same passion. Duh. Right? If, you, if, if you're going to have that, hang out with the people who share the same passion. And if you're going to hang out with that, those people, it means you don't want to hang out with the people who don't share the passion. Now, we've got to be careful here because it's not saying that you got to just you know hate those people and deride those people and down, uh, downplay those people who are far away. No. In fact, if you go into 2 Timothy again, Paul gives us advice about our attitude towards those who are far away from Christ, right? He says, anyone who serves the Lord must not fight. Instead, he must be kind to everyone. He must be able to teach. He must not hold anything against anyone. He must gently teach those who oppose him. Maybe God will give a change of heart to those who are against you. That will lead them to know the truth. Maybe they will come to their senses. Maybe they will escape the devil's trap. He has taken them prisoner to do what he wanted. So our attitude towards those who are far away is looking for the opportunity to use our words again, to speak the truth in love, and be able to bring them to a place that says, hey, listen, where your life is right now is not where God wants it to be. But we have a passion for hanging out with people who have a passion for having God in their life. And we have a passion to be around those people and encourage and strengthen one another and then look for the opportunity to speak to those who are far away. You follow it? Sure. It's not like we only live in one place. We want to reach those other people, but we reach them with our words. Next thing. He says... We're passionate about keeping our word. We're passionate about our reputation. If, if you want God to be obvious in your life, then, then you've got to be a person who keeps your word, who keeps your commitments. Now, the psalmist says, He keeps His promises, notice the last part, even when it hurts. Even when it hurts. So like you made a commitment, right? You said, okay, I'll be there. I'll be there. I'll be there. Okay? But then this other opportunity comes along that's so much more fun and so much more exciting and so much greater and so much more what you want to do. But you already made your commitment. What's the psalmist say? Even when it hurts, you fulfill your commitment. Why? Because that's how you show God is in your life. Why? That's what God does. That's what he did for you. God is a God who keeps his promises. And and we count on that. We know God keeps his promises. We know his word is good. And he showed it in Jesus Christ, even when it hurts on the cross. If we're going to be passionate about having God in our life, then then we've got to be that kind of person who just says, listen, I made a commitment and and I know that other stuff looks really good and I have a lot more fun, but man, my word is my bond and my word is worth it. It, Again, in Matthew, Jesus gives it kind of straight to us. He says, just let your yes mean yes, let your no be no, 
Anything more than this comes from the evil one. People should understand that when you make an agreement with them, when you tell them yes or when you tell them no, you mean it. That's it. They just know your word is good. Why? Well, because that's what God does. And if God is obvious in your life, that's what you'll do. Uh, James kind of takes the same thing and leads us a little deeper on it. He said, my brothers and sisters, don't take an oath when you make a promise. Don't call on heaven or earth or anything else to back you up on what you say. Let your yes be yes and let your no be no. If you don't, you'll be judged. Right? He's saying, look, you shouldn't have to make an agreement with somebody and say, listen, I promise. Really, I'll do it this time. Really, I promise. You, I swear, you can count on me this time. Well, no. I mean, you, your word should be good. If you're passionate about showing God in your life, having God being obvious in your life, then if you say yes, they know it. They should walk away and say, okay, well, he'll be here. He'll do that. Yep, she's up for it. She's going to do it. Why? Because she said yes. Or conversely, your no be no. That's how we show how God is passionately obvious uh, in our lives. It's by our reputation that our word is good. Last one. The psalmist would lead us to understand that equally we have this passion for God in our lives when we're passionate about helping other people. And, and what's so great in the psalm is he gets us in that tender spot uh, for most of us. And the psalmist starts talking about money. He gets us in the hardest place. He says, listen, if you're going to be passionate about having God being obvious in your life, then you are going to be a generous person. You're going to be passionate about helping others. He says, this person lends his money without charging too much interest. He doesn't accept money to harm those who aren't guilty. What's it mean? He's talking about having a passion to use your resources and your money in a way that is helpful to others, just like your words. That you use your money and your resources in a way that helps take care of other people. So you may have an opportunity to make a big deal. You may have an opportunity to really gouge somebody for a huge profit. But if God is obvious in your life, you're going to seek to do what's fair. So he's not saying you can't charge interest, right? He's just saying you're going to charge fair interests. You're going to do what's right. I mean, don't you hate it when you walk out of a store and you made this big purchase? You walk out of the store and you get in your car and you start the car up and you think in your head and you go, did I just get taken? Right? Am I the only one that's ever felt that? Right? And then you're like, man, that, I just didn't feel right. Well, what's that saying? Well, obviously God wasn't in that in that experience, right? In that deal. And what the psalmist is saying, listen, if you're passionate about God being obvious in your life, whenever anybody walks away from you, especially when you're dealing with money, they should walk away and say, wow, that was really good. That was fair. I feel like I was treated rightly and fairly and justly. That was fantastic. That's one of the best deals I ever made. That's what he's calling us to. So that in our dealings, in our businesses, and in a way we manage our money, that we're doing it in a fair and just and righteous kind of way. Proverbs says that we would do that in a fair, just, and righteous way, especially taking into account the needs of others, especially the poor. He said, those who do what is right want to treat poor people fairly, but those who do what is wrong don't care about the poor. 
Those who do what is wrong are willing to take advantage of the poor. They'll make a buck on anybody's back. Not if God is obvious in your life. Not, -uh. Not if God is obvious in your life. You're going to be fair. You're going to be righteous. You're going to be blameless. You're going to be honest. Remember where we started? In all of your dealings. And you're going to especially look out for providing for the poor. Leviticus says, suppose you're gathering your crops. Then do not harvest all the way to the edges of your field. And do not pick up the grain you missed. Leave some for poor people and outsiders. I am the Lord your God. Look out for others in the way you manage your resources. Provide the opportunity for others. Don't take advantage of them. But build them up, edify them, and encourage them even with your resources. You see the consistency in Scripture? Not just your words, but also how you manage your resources. Proverbs 28 does it too. And where does it ultimately lead us? Ultimately, it leads us to this understanding of being secure in our passion. And that is being secure in understanding that as much as we're passionate about wanting it to be obvious that God's in our life, that God is equally passionate about us. God is equally passionate. And that's why he sent Jesus Christ. And that's why the psalmist can encourage us and say, listen, even though you know you're not perfect, strive for it. Even though you're not going to walk blameless, seek it. Even though you know you're going to fail sometimes, get up and try again in Christ and let the grace of God be enough for you that we can have a security in understanding how passionate God is for us. And if we have that security, we can have that desire, that passion, that God would be that obvious in our lives. Five verses. But what a powerful challenge. Let's pray. Father, thank you. It's just five verses, but man, you